We're going to turn now and hear from God's Word. Uh, we've been working our way through Mark's Gospel and come to the second half of chapter 5. We're going to keep working through Mark's Gospel uh, right through until June, folks, so uh, we'll be in Mark for a while. I don't think we'll get to the end by June, but we'll keep going until, until June. And so today we come to uh, the sort of final in a series of miracles that Mark has been showing us Jesus has done. Last week we heard about Jesus casting out the demons uh, from Legion. And this week we turn to another two miracles of Jesus. So we'll begin reading at verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. And as we read, we remember this is God's word. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him to the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came to the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read this truth. 
Well, like I've said, today we come to the end of this section in Mark. Um, it's been focused on a series of miracles. There was the calming of the sea, and then the casting out of demons from Legion. And then today we've come to the healing of a woman with flow of blood and the raising of a girl from the dead. And I want you to, to see the connection between all of these miracles. There's, there's an overarching theme in these. Before we zoom into the two in our passage today, I want to take you back to the calming of the storm. Hopefully you'll remember in the story of the calming of the storm, there were a number of questions asked by Jesus and his disciples. And two of those questions have sort of given us a structure for the miracles that take place in chapter 5. First, it was the question that Jesus asked. He asked the disciples, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And so Jesus made the connection for us that faith is the opposite of fear of death. The disciples were scared of dying. That's what their fear was of. And Jesus says the opposite of that is faith. Well then, after Jesus calms the storm, we get another question, the question of the disciples. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples are asking a really important question. Who is Jesus? Who is it that has the power to do the things that Jesus does? Well, in our passage today, both those questions, the question of faith and the question of Jesus' identity, will they come together through the miracles with the woman and Jairus' daughter. We can see that very clearly in the statement that Jesus makes to Jairus in verse 36. After hearing that his daughter is dead, Jesus says to Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe. And so we see again Jesus putting Faith and fear of death as opposites of one another. We've just seen with the children's address that faith cannot exist on its own. Faith must have an object. You can't have faith without placing it in someone or something. And so it's not just about having faith. It's about putting your faith in the right place or the right person. And so this second question about the identity of Jesus comes to us. Is Jesus someone worth putting your faith in? Well, that's where we come to our story today. I think we learn four things about this, about, uh, sorry, we learn four things from this passage. The first two things we learn are about faith itself. And then the second two are about the object our faith should have, Jesus Christ. He's the one who we should put our faith in. So let me begin by saying two things about faith. In this second half of Mark chapter 5, there are two miracles, and they interact in both time and in theme. They're both about faith. You can see that again in the words Jesus speaks to the woman in verse 34. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And what we've already noticed, he says to Jairus in verse 36, do not be afraid, only believe. And that word believe could be translated have faith. So in both cases, we see that faith is not just about belief, 
but as something that must be acted upon. Think about the people on the ice, or think about Joel standing on the chair. It's, it's one thing to say, I believe, I have faith, I trust, but it's another thing entirely to actually act upon it. I could stand on the chair all day and say, I believe that Joel will hold my weight if I fall from this chair. But it's another thing entirely to actually fall off the chair and do it. So the first thing we learn about faith is that it cannot be hidden. Faith cannot be hidden. It must be made public. Faith has to be demonstrated. Otherwise, it's not really faith at all. We see this, first of all, with the woman. She tries to hide her faith, doesn't she? Her first instinct is to sneak up behind Jesus and just, just touch the corner of his clothes. Now, even doing that is an act of faith. It isn't enough just, just to believe that touching his clothes will make her well, which she does. We're told that in verse 28. But she actually has to follow through and, and do the thing she believes. She has to take a stand on her faith. But even that small act isn't actually enough. We see from Jesus' reaction that he wants her not only to believe in secret, he wants her faith to be made public. And so in verse 30, he calls her out. He calls her out of the crowd. Who touched my clothes? And knowing that she has been found out, the woman steps forward in verse 33, falling down before Jesus, just as Jairus had done before, and just as the, the demoniac had done in the first half of chapter 5, they all fall before Jesus. It's only at this point then that Jesus is willing to affirm her faith, and he sends her on her way. Well, folks, I think there's a word of application for us here, for each one of us. Our, our faith in Christ cannot be a private matter. We may want it to be private, but that's a very, very modern way to think. It's not how the Bible wants us to behave. Over the course of the last month and a half, I've been meeting over Zoom with about a dozen people, a mixture from both Jared's Pass and King's Mills. In these meetings, we've been looking at some teaching designed to make sure that these people are prepared and ready to come into full membership of the church. And what that means is that they are ready to publicly affirm their faith in Christ. Publicly, by coming forward, making vows before the congregation and partaking of the sacrament of communion. This is our way in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland of doing what this lady did here in Mark chapter five. It's coming forward. It's proclaiming that we have faith in Jesus. Now we haven't celebrated the Lord's Supper for a while, and it could be a while before these folk take it for the first time. But each time we do, each time we eat the bread and drink the wine, we're doing what this lady did in Mark chapter five. We're making a public declaration that we have faith in the Lord Jesus. Faith cannot be hidden. It cannot remain private. It must be acted upon. And declaring it publicly is the first step in acting upon the faith that we have been given by God 
to believe in Jesus. Well, the second thing we learn about faith in our passage is that it is often demonstrated and even made stronger through testing. We can see this in what happens with Jairus. Initially, it has to be noted that Jairus is not someone we would expect to come to Jesus. We are told in verse 22, he's one of the rulers in the synagogue. And we've seen before in Mark, there is hostility between Jesus and the religious institutions of the day. So we have to wonder, why is this man coming to Jesus for help? But before too long, it's made very clear, he's desperate. This man is desperate. I'm sure he had tried to get help from the religious leaders in the synagogue, but it's clear that their help was of no use to his daughter. She is at the point of death. She's not simply sick and headed for death one day, her condition is very bad indeed. In our culture, this would be the time when the family is called for. And so Jairus' desperation leads him to Jesus. And compassionate as ever, Jesus agrees to go with him. I'm sure you can all associate with Jairus to, to some degree. Uh, you've all been in the situation where you're just in a rush to get somewhere and there's a traffic jam it seems around every corner. I experience this kind of thing every time we try and leave the house. Um, you cannot rush my wife out of the house. Try as I might, I cannot hurry things along. No matter how quickly I need to be somewhere and it stresses me out. And it would stress you out as well and it stresses us out whenever we're in a hurry to get somewhere and we just can't get moving. A testing and trying situation to be in. Now imagine that your hurry is not just something that you've built up in your own mind, but your hurry is actually because your daughter is dying. And yet, Jesus cannot be rushed. Jesus has agreed to come with Jairus. He's going to come and see his daughter. But Jesus is in no hurry. You cannot rush Jesus on. The, the whole incident with the, the bleeding woman is a test on Jairus' faith. Does he really believe that Jesus can help him? Does he really believe that Jesus will help him? Does he trust that Jesus knows what he's doing? And this testing time for Jairus probably made things seem as if they were getting worse. In fact, they did get worse, didn't they? They were becoming more hopeless than they were before. But through this testing, through this testing, the faith of Jairus had to grow. It had to be strengthened because through the testing, he learned about Jesus. He learned something new and something amazing about Jesus. If Jesus had not been delayed, the girl might not have died. And Jesus would not have shown Jairus and he would not have shown us today that he has the power to raise people from the dead. I'm going to come on to the power of Jesus in a minute. But let me say this, because I know that some of you have been through testing times. You've been through times when your faith has been stretched. Things have, have seemed to be getting more and more hopeless. 
They're just not getting better. Let me tell you that as long as your faith is in Jesus, it can be stretched incredibly thin. Your faith can become terribly weak, but Jesus is the thick ice. In Jesus, you are safe and secure. And the more we know about Jesus, the more we learn about Jesus through testing, the stronger our faith will be in the long run. Through testing, you too can learn amazing and new things about Jesus that you would not have learned otherwise. Let's move on to see two things about Jesus, to learn new things about Jesus. It's my firm belief and conviction that the more we know about Jesus, the greater our faith in him will be. The first thing we learn about Jesus in this passage is about his power. We've seen him exercise power over the wind and the waves and over the spiritual realm of Satan and demons. Well, here in this passage, in the last of these miracles, we see his power over death. Like I've said it time and time again during the pandemic, we need to face up to the truth that we are all going to die someday. For some of us, that will be a long time away, and for others, it will be a lot closer. But it's an important thing to realise. Putting your head in the sand will not stop death. We need to be prepared to face death. And the only way we can face it with hope and confidence is through trusting in Jesus. As the one who has overcome death. The one who has power over death. In today's passage, we can see very clearly that this woman and Jairus, well, they don't have much in common. He's a ruler of a synagogue, a prestigious man with money and power and influence. This woman, well, she's an outcast. If she'd ever been married, her husband would have divorced her by this point. She couldn't have children. She wouldn't have been able to touch anyone, let alone feel a hope. She wouldn't have been able to worship God along with anyone else. She'd spent all her money, whether it was a lot or a little, it's all gone. She suffered at the hands of the doctors. And for her, things have not gotten better, they've got worse. I know that, that she's ill and she's not facing death at that very moment, but her illness is a sign that she is headed for death. And in a way, because she is so alone, because she is so cast out of society, well, she may as well be dead to those around her. One commentator I read this week described her, along with the demoniac who lived among the tombs, described her as the living dead. So this woman and Jairus are at the very opposite ends of, of the social scale, and yet they're united. They're united through one thing they do have in common, and that is the death that lies ahead for them. For Jairus, it's come through his daughter. And so these two are united by death. They're also united by coming to Jesus as the one who can help them, as the only one who can help them. None of the doctors could help this woman. 
None of the other religious leaders could help Jairus, only Jesus. So we see the power of Jesus over death in the healing of this woman. The touch of his clothes is all it took. Jesus' new power had gone from him and he affirms the woman in her faith by making it public. In her healing, she's got her life back. In a sense for her, this is a resurrection. It's a figurative and not a literal resurrection. Then we see the little girl. And I want you to realize something. I want you to realize that Jesus is not in a rush because he knows that even if the girl dies, he has the power to raise her from the dead. We see Jesus do this quite often in the Gospels. He can't be rushed. And that's because for him, there's only one time that matters. Only one time on the horizon that matters for Jesus, and that is his own death on the cross. And so until that time comes, Jesus can't be rushed. You see, you and I, we're, we're hurried by time because each one of us knows deep down that it's running out for each one of us. But not Jesus. Jesus can't be rushed. And so when he does eventually get to the girl, and she was dead, by the way, the, the word, the translation of the word sleeping at the end of verse 39 is, is confusing for us, I think. This girl is dead. But Jesus, knowing that he is about to raise her from the dead, well, he takes her hand and he shows his power and his authority even over death. And the girl rises and she walks. Friends, I can't say it enough, but we will all die someday. But through Jesus, because of his resurrection from the dead, each one who trusts in him will overcome death and we will enter into new, better and everlasting life. It's only if we're trusting in Jesus. It's my prayer that, that seeing his power over death today will make you put your trust in him. Not only for today, but for every day that lies ahead. The Puritan Thomas Watson had a fantastic way with words. And he once wrote that for those who have faith in Jesus, we are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. What a great hope. What a great hope for us as we face difficulty and uncertainty in this world and the death that lies ahead for all of us. We're more certain to rise out of our graves than we are to rise out of our beds. Well, finally, and very briefly, let me say one more thing from this passage. And it's to note this, that while Jesus is powerful over all things, he is also compassionate beyond measure. His raising of the girl from the dead is not done with show and pomp and ceremony. It's done with a gentle touch, with a soft word. Talitha kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. An act of, of deep compassion. And followed by another act of compassion, he tells her parents, get her something to eat. Death is tiring. Death is draining on the body. She's going to need some sustenance. Give her a bowl of soup. Give her some stew. You see the compassion and the care of Jesus here? 
After the last couple of weeks, we've been talking in our house about how we should fear God and why we should fear God. And I think that the power which Jesus has demonstrated in our passage today leads us to know deeper fear of Jesus than we have of death. But with his power, with the power of Jesus, you see, comes compassion. It comes gentleness and loving kindness. The way I explained it to the boys is to borrow an illustration from C.S. Lewis. In the land the witch in the wardrobe, the children find out uh, that Aslan, who they're just about to meet, is a lion. And they get worried. They're scared. Is he safe? Asks Lucy. Safe? Says Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Friends, our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is not safe. He is mighty and powerful. He is to be feared even above death. He isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king. And only through putting our faith in him and him alone will we be safe and secure forever. Let's pray together.